Welcome to the Functional Breeding Podcast. I'm Jessica Heckman, and I'm here interviewing folks about how to breed dogs for function and for health, behavioral and physical. This podcast is brought to you by the Functional Dog Collaborative, an organization founded to support the ethical breeding of healthy, behaviorally sound dogs. The FDC's goals include providing educational, social, and technical resources to breeders of both purebred and mixed breed dogs. You can find out more at functionalbreeding.org or at the Functional Breeding Facebook group, which is a friendly and inclusive community. I hope you have fun and learn something. Hi, friends. This episode is the first in what I hope will be a short series of episodes on doodles, those dogs who lots of owners think make such great family pets and lots of breeders find to be a really controversial cross. In this first episode of the series, I'm talking to Amy Lane. Amy is the founder of the Golden Doodle Association of North America, Ghana, which acts as a breed club for Golden Doodle breeders, providing a registry, health testing guidance, and education. I learned a lot about responsible doodle breeding from Amy. Thanks so much, Amy, for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm really excited to get to talk about Golden Doodles and the Doodle Breed Club. But the the way I generally start stuff off, rather than talking about the big picture stuff, is asking people about their own dogs. So I would love to know uh, what do you who do you have at home? Who do you live with? Where did they come from? Okay. Uh, hey Logan, come here. This is Logan, and he. Oh my God. Um, he is my shadow. He travels with me. He goes everywhere, um, typically off-leash, because his entire goal in life is to touch me and to please me. So this is Logan. He's adorable. He's got his summer cut. Yep, yep. He is the only dog that resides with me permanently now. Um, I I used to have um, about maybe half a dozen studs that lived in my house, and over the years... um, you know, through old age, we are down to our last stud that's 10 um, that lives with me. All of my younger studs um, since Logan live in guardian homes. Oh, nice. Um, for those who don't know what a guardian home is, maybe you could could fill us in on that. Um, guardian homes are families that raise our breeding dogs for us as their family pet. And um, the females come back to us to be bred, uh, go back home while they're pregnant, and then come back to us right before they're due to deliver their puppies here. And our stud dogs, um, we go to them, utilize their services, um, you know, take the female with us, and then come back home. And this eliminates any of our breeding dogs living in a kennel. Um, And that's the entire goal, that they have fabulous, wonderful lives, uh, living with families, being a normal dog. Um, that just happens to also reproduce. And it also eliminates the need for us to retire breeding dogs and find them a new home. This way they live with the same family from eight weeks on. And it's a win-win situation for us and for the dogs. Yeah, that's lovely. I feel like guardian homes are becoming more and more of a thing these days as people are starting to realize it's really challenging to have enough breeding dogs on site to have the diversity that you want in your breeding program. And so then what do you do? Do you have 20 dogs? They can't all sleep in your bed. There's, that would be a really big bed. Yes. Uh, well, the human would be on the floor and the dogs would be on the yes, floor. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty much how it would work. Yeah. Like I, I have actually a couple times come upstairs and caught my husband napping on the dog bed and I'm like, really? <laughs> 
So it, it happens in our house for sure. And we only have three here. So, so how did you get into golden doodles initially? Well, I was breeding golden retrievers, AKC mm-hmm. golden retrievers, and a woman that's a, a close friend of mine who was previously my 4-H leader as a child, um, who got me involved in horses, was who also got me involved in, in breeding dogs. And she was the first person in the United States to breed Labradoodles. And these were American Labradoodles, a true cross of a lab and a poodle. And she learned about them because she had a friend in Australia that was um, breeding Labradoodles there. And so through that, um, I got involved in helping her market Labradoodles here. And um, then the story goes on to to Golden Doodles. Um, But that was my beginning with breeding dogs with with AKC Golden Retrievers. And so then you made the jump into Golden Doodles. So why, like, what did you get out of Golden Doodles that you weren't getting out of the Goldens? Or maybe you could talk a little bit about why you like this particular cross. Well, um, I was breeding AKC Golden Retrievers and had a stray pony show up on my farm who kicked and killed our stud dog. <gasps> no. Oh, my God. And I had just one golden retriever stud dog at that point. So then I'm left with no stud dog and dogs that needed to be bred. And so I decided at that point to use a poodle to um, fill in the gap because these labradoodles were very, very popular um, that I was helping place um, for my friend Judy Hahn. And when we had um, the first golden doodle litter. Of course, we didn't know what, we didn't have a name for them. I had this litter of Labradoodles sold to all of their new homes. And when they came to pick up their Labradoodle at eight weeks of age, I showed them this other litter and they said, well, what are they? And I kind of stumbled around a little bit and I said, "Uh, the golden doodles. And half of them took a golden doodle puppy home and uh, didn't take their Labradoodle puppy home. Oh, wow. So intrigued with the Golden Doodle. And from there, I had, you know, the Golden Doodles were getting such rave reviews, but I have people that would say, oh, I love the concept. I love the look. I love the temperament. I love the reduced shedding, but I don't want a big dog. And that led me to contract with a mini poodle stud owner to create the first litter of mini Golden Doodles. And that was the explosion of Golden Doodles then. I built a website. At, I had a, My niece helped me build a website to market that first litter. And the phone calls and the email inquiries have not stopped. And that was 20 years ago. Yeah, they are for sure really popular. And obviously, there's some some issues when any any breeder mix becomes popular. So then, as we as we all know, right, going back, like the, I guess the big story is the Dalmatians after 101 Dalmatians came out when everyone wanted a D- D- Dalmatian and they didn't really know what they were getting. So then you went on to found this club, Ghana. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, like why you what it is. So let's start with what it is. What is Ghana? Uh, it is the Golden Doodle Association of North America, and I believe we opened our doors, our internet doors, um, January 1st, 2008. I spent probably a year to a year and a half prior to that putting together the organization and had the help of some wonderful breeder friends, um, some that I had never met before, but we worked through communications, through email and, and that bit, and actually came up with the 
the bones of Ghana. Um, my purpose um, was, there were several purposes. Um, one was most designer dogs uh, are just first crosses to two purebred breeds. And I was interested in developing the Golden Doodle into deeper generations with the goal of creating a guaranteed non-shedding Golden Doodle, which you cannot get in a first cross. And if you're going to breed deeper generations, you need to be able to document lineage so that you are not breeding related dogs, um, which is something that was important to me. And so having a database of pedigrees uh, and to be able to pr produce a, a registration, uh, an extended registration um, for each breeding dog was important. And then um, the other important factor to me was that I wanted to create uh, a, a different class of breeders who were doing the appropriate health testing to separate them from the backyard breeders and the puppy mills. And it was my goal that the general public would be able to say, oh, this dog is gone or registered. That means it comes from health tested parents and therefore should be a healthier dog. And um, I had these grand illusions when I first created Ghana, you know, that we would only allow breeders that would do the maximum amount of testing and um, fairly quickly came to the realization that we would only have, well, we probably had a dozen member breeders for the first few years. Mm. And um, we came, I came to the realization that we needed to mentor new breeders to be able to reach that type of health testing standard. And so we had to create different levels of membership and mentor them to reach the top tier, which is the blue ribbon breeder. That's lovely. So it's, so it's not just that you provide basically the information for people who are looking for a puppy about how to find the really top tier breeders, but you also help the breeders get there. Exactly. Which is really nice. Well, so I want to hear about the tiers. What are your tiers? Um, well, we have the blue ribbon, the red ribbon, and the basic level. And the blue ribbon is um, breeders that test for all the recommended tests, which I can list them if you like. I'm a, you know. <laughs> Physical testing like hips, heart, eyes, elbows, patellas, but it's also disease testing. Right. The red ribbon level is uh, re requires a few less tests than the blue ribbon level. And the basic level is just like that. It's basic. It, we require hips to be certified and heart to be certified because in the golden retriever, um, heart is a critical issue and hips in all your large breed dogs is a critical issue. So we thought we'd start with those basics and require that to be the minimum standard to join Ghana. And then we put a limit on it. They have one year then to increase their testing up to at least the red ribbon standard. And then we reward our breeders at any time in their membership, whether they join as a blue ribbon or they join as a basic or a red ribbon, but then increase the testing to a blue ribbon we waive for next year's annual dues just as a reward mm -hmm. in the blue ribbon level. So give another incentive. Yeah, no, incentives are the way to do it. And so I, I gather so you find that that works, that people can come in. It sounds like a pretty reasonable level to come in for just hips and heart. And then people are able to sort of ramp up from there. Yes. And actually, we actually do have another level that I didn't mention. Um, we call it the apprentice level. We have people that contact us that want to become a breeder. 
but mm-hmm. have never bred a litter before and perhaps don't even own any breeding dogs. And they join, um, and we, pro- we provide all of our new members with a mentor, and they join because they want to learn the appropriate way to start a breeding program. And they can become, they can remain an apprentice indefinitely. We don't require that they become a breeder in a certain amount of time because everybody has their own learning curve and may need some time before they purchase the first dog or two. And they may purchase the first dog and it may never pan out. And therefore, they're still not a breeder. So um, the apprentice level is um, another level that is a typically a non-breeder level who's, who, who's learning. I love it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the um, the AKC parent clubs, I, I mean, I'm not involved with any of them, so I don't know what their practices are. I know that one of the valuable things that people find from working with those clubs is that it's a good way to find a mentor and that having a mentor is a really, really valuable part of upping your game as a breeder. But I love that you also say, like, you just can't be a member unless you you jump over these hurdles, which I think is, I, that may be the case for some of the AKC parent clubs, but I know it's not the case for all of them at any rate. So that's, that's lovely that you really sort of lay down the law and you're like, this is, this is the minimum. This is what we've, we've got to get done before we can be, be breeding dogs. Well, so um, how did you, sorry, I should, I should warn people. I sent Amy some questions ahead of time, and this is not one that I prepared you for, but as you were talking about health tests, I don't, I don't think you have to list all of them, but I actually would be curious if you remember how you decided which ones to pick and which ones not, because that's something that a lot of breeders really struggle with when they're breeding mixed breed dogs, is what are appropriate tests? Well, um, we uh, follow a lot of the guidelines of the AKC. Um, each breed that the AKC registers or recognizes, they have a list of health issues that follow that breed and recommended testing. And so we combined what is recommended for poodles and for golden retrievers, because when you're crossing them, the offspring could have, you know, genes from either parent breed that could create an issue. Um, So that's where we came up with the physical testing, the hips, the elbows, um, the heart, the patellas, and the eyes. And the disease testing, every few years, we actually review that and see if something needs to be added. Um, or if something could be eliminated and become just a recommended test versus a required test. And what we did um, probably two or three years ago, I surveyed every lab that does testing for us that had um, a minimum number of tests for golden retrievers, poodles, and, and golden doodles, and asked them how many dogs were tested for this disease, how many dogs were clear, how many dogs were carriers, and how many dogs were affected. And we utilized those numbers to determine what diseases were prevalent in our breed and therefore what tests that we should be requiring. And over the years, we've added new ones and we have um, taken some that we required and made them recommended um, and some that we thought were recommended that eventually became required. And the other thing is we also, um, our, our members, are, um, have a voice in this. Uh, we do not increase the testing or change your rule without first discussion of the entire membership and then a vote. So if the membership feels that this test is not needed, they can vote it out. So that it's not, we're not being ruled by 
a board or one breeder. It, it's the voice of the whole membership. It had never occurred to me to contact testing laboratories and ask for that kind of information. That's lovely that that's a repository of that. As you started talking about this, I was thinking, well, how are they surveying it? Like, are they sending questionnaires out to people? Are that you know? Um, do you have any feedback system for when, uh, so when breeders register dogs with you, do you have any system for them to report like this dog ended up having this, this genetic issue or is that not something that you do? Well, the database um, does include recording all of the health testing on every parent dog. Ghana will not register a litter of puppies for a breeder unless the parent dog has all of the appropriate testing. And if, if one of our breeders breeds a litter, from parents that do not meet their level, they get busted back to the level that their testing does meet. Or if it doesn't meet even the basic level, then they are suspended until they can increase their testing. Because it's not just a few of their dogs. We require that every single dog in their Golden Doodle breeding program meets the testing. So it's not just require. So the way that they that you prove that you tested your dogs is you send the actual results in. Yes. Nice. You have the results. Our registrar has a hard copy of it, and then the information is entered in the database. So any breeder can look up, the t like if they wanted to use a stud dog or they wanted to do a search for a stud dog and they wanted it to have, say they're a blue ribbon and they wanted to find a blue ribbon stud because if they use a red ribbon stud to create a litter, they're busted back to a red ribbon. Right. Uh, search our database and see the scores that, that the dogs received. That's interesting uh, because one of the issues that – one of the reasons I'm founding the Functional Dog Collaborative is that there's this issue of transparency and breeding, right? That you you may do all the health testing on your own dogs, but then you don't want to publicize if one of your dogs has an issue. And I understand all the things that breeders are balancing, that it may be that you have a dog whose hips aren't perfect, but you breed it to another dog whose hips are great and you know that's fine. But then you sort of don't want to tell people about the less than perfect tests that you have. And one of the things I was struggling with was how to build a culture of transparency where people are really encouraged to publish the results of their tests and not castigated for it. Like, you know, oh, so, you know, this dog or this dog ended up developing epilepsy. Well, you need to tell people that. So it's just, it's nice to to hear that you're requiring that the results be published and in order to participate. That's for breeding dogs. Now, for the puppies that, that breeders sell, every breeder has their own way of tracking health and so forth on those puppies. And we don't require that as a club because we, we just don't have the manpower to, to police. Sure. So I can only answer for what I do. And I do surveys on all of my puppies at 6 and 12 months of age. I don't get all of the surveys back, which is just no. <laughs> answer every single question and email that comes in from the consumer and uh you know and af after they are a, a full-fledged customer and own a puppy from us so we would love for each of them to answer or you know to reply to our surveys but i unfortunately can't tell you that they all reply but we do keep track of every single health issue or temperament issue that we receive as well as the sizes because um predicting size so you can appropriately match puppies with families is also important and if we have you know a temperament issue or a health issue that seems to, to raise its ugly head in a particular line then we'll pull a, pull a dog um, and, and won't breed that dog again um, but we are working with the OFA um, it's been a long process but we are trying to work with the OFA to be a part of their health database 
But the problem with that is, see, in the purebred world, if your dog doesn't pass his hips, you breed him and nobody knows. In the Golden Doodle, in, in the Ghana breeding world, that's not allowed. If your dog doesn't pass his hips, he can't be bred. And therefore, if he doesn't pass his hips, or, or let's say he doesn't pass his heart or his eyes or his patellas, they don't send in the form to the OFA saying the dog failed. They just don't breed right. the dog. And therefore, the OFA doesn't have that information. So it's difficult for us to have an accurate health survey with the OFA um, because what we've gotten them to agree to to date is that they will include any dog with a Ghana registration number. But as we know, there's so many breeders out there that aren't Ghana breeders, and therefore there is no Ghana registration number, so their dog's health information doesn't get included. Right. So there isn't really an accurate health survey function available to us at this point. So that is something yeah. we're working on. It's it's a problem for all of us, I think. And one of the things that I keep hearing from people is that if there were a way to stay in touch, um, I mean, talking about, we've just been talking about breeding stock, but you also mentioned the difficulty of staying in touch with the puppy owners. And if there were a way, I mean, and I'd love to provide that for people. It's it's way down the road and who knows if it'll ever happen, but I hear you and we want it too, just to have a, a way to encourage the puppy owners to stay connected and to upload the veterinary records <laughs> to a central database. Um, because it's so important, right? When you you have a dog who's healthy and you breed it to a dog who's healthy and you can know that they're healthy, but they can produce unhealthy puppies. And you want to know that before you breed those dogs again. And it's so hard if the puppy owners don't come back and, and tell you. I was actually, when I was in veterinary school, I remember... Um, I was on a surgical rotation and we were looking at a dog who was in for elbow surgery and it was a congenital problem. And when I was left as a student, I was such an obnoxious student. I was left alone in the room with the dog owner when the surgeon was out and we were chatting and I was like, it was a purebred uh, lab. And I said, you should tell your dogs. I said, did you get this dog from a breeder? And she said, yes. And I said, you should tell the breeder about this. And she was like, really? And I said, yes, the breeder, if they're a good breeder, will want to know. And she was like, that never would have occurred to me. And I thought to myself, why are veterinary surgeons not all telling people to tell their dogs breeders? Like we should learn this in veterinary school. So one of the other things um, that when you were mentioning about health testing and how you have both the, the golden retriever tests and the poodle tests, and I was thinking that's particularly important because Ghana doesn't only have F1s. Right. So if you have an F1, which just for those who don't know, is a golden cross with a poodle. So the two purebred parents. Um, and then we can know that issues that are only in the goldens, that puppy is only going to get the one risk allele maximum because they're not going to get it from the poodle. But when we start doing crosses back to poodle or what I know Ghana calls multigen, then it's good to have that health testing on board. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit. So a lot of people just when I started digging into this, I thought doodles were only F1s. I didn't know that people were crossing at different levels. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what that means and why people do it. And um, I know that coat is really important in that. So, okay. Well, then, okay. When we talk about the DNA testing for diseases, dogs have zero, one or two genes to pass along uh, of a disease. So if a parent carries for a disease, as long as it's a recessive disease, um, you can cross it with another dog that doesn't 
have that same recessive gene and you'll still, you know, the worst case you'll have puppies that are carriers, but nobody will be affected by the disease. So we don't disallow uh, a carrier to be bred. We just allow, disallow two carriers to be bred together. And so we require if, say, a dog carries for ichthyosis, that it has to be bred to a, a, a another dog that does not carry for ichthyosis. Um, in our F1s, our first crosses, like ichthyosis is a golden retriever disease. So even if the carrier, if the golden retriever is a carrier, we don't require that the poodle be tested for ichthyosis because all poodles are, are negative for that, are not carriers. So um, we allow F1s to be bred um, without a lot of the testing unless it is a disease that both breeds can carry, such as degenerative myelopathy. When we get to the deeper generations, um, the purpose of the, at least my purpose in creating deeper generations was to work towards a non-shedding, wavy coated golden doodle. Um, because your F1s um, typically are wavy, and uh, that's the most desirable coat based on our customer request, but your F1s typically will have some shedding. And the furnishing gene is um, very uh, closely associated with shedding. And the furnishing gene is the gene that gives a dog a beard. So when you have a dog with two furnishing genes, you typically have a dog that has longer hair on the face and no shedding. And, and need, they typically need to be clipped periodically. And that would cover your uh, your poodles, your shih tzus, your losses, your yorkies. Um, dogs that carry zero furnishing genes are your high shedding dogs. And those are always signified by the smooth face, the short hair on the face, your collies, your shepherds, your labs, your goldens. And so golden retrievers carry zero furnishing genes, poodle carry two furnishing genes. So when you cross them, you always get one furnishing gene offspring. That greatly diminishes shedding but it doesn't remove the shedding. And, um, and furnishings are a dominant gene, so as long as a dog carries one furnishing gene, they're gonna have the long hair on the face. So that's why your F1 doodles look like your typical doodle. They have long hair on the face, they have long hair on the body, they need haircuts, and they have minimal shedding. But to reduce the shedding, you've gotta breed deeper generations to get two furnishing genes in the offspring. So the typical next generation is the F1B, which is typically done by crossing a poodle with an F1 golden doodle. Now, if you cross an F1 golden doodle with a golden retriever, that is in essence also an F1B, but you've added the shedding back in. And you're going to have um, some of the puppies that have profuse shedding and some of the puppies that have the, the, the coat of a golden retriever, the short hair on the face and just some feathering behind the legs. So, um, when we cross an F1 with a poodle, you're going to end up with a half of the puppies on average with two furnishing genes. But the other half of the puppies will have one furnishing gene. And you don't know which they are since the furnishing gene is dominant because they're all going to look, you know, very similar. So the F1B generation doesn't achieve what my goal was, which was an entire litter of non-shedding puppies. Also, when you do the F1B, um, well, I'll go back. Poodles carry two curl genes. Golden retrievers carry zero curl genes. So when you go do an F1, you have all one curl gene golden doodles, which is typically a wavy coat. When you take that F1 and you cross it with a poodle, 
you're crossing a one curl gene with a two curl gene parent. And so half of those puppies are going to have a curly coat like a poodle. And they might not also, the same identical puppies, inherit two of the furnishing genes. So you could still have a curly coated doodle that you would think, because it has a coat like a poodle, it'd be non-shedding. And that was a fallacy that we operated by way back before we had the DNA testing to help us along. So uh, to achieve that perfect golden doodle in, in the consumer's eye, which is typically a wavy coated non-shedding golden doodle, um, you'll get a few of them perhaps in the F1B generation, but you can't really get a whole litter of them until you're breeding multi-gens. And um, the F2 to the F2, an F1 to an F1 gives us an F2, and we don't consider that a multi-gen simply because with an F2, F1 bred to an F1, you're going to end up with some dogs with zero furnishing genes, which makes them be smooth face like a golden, um, hair that doesn't continue to grow, and profuse shedders. And you're going to end up with some that have um, two curl genes that are going to look like a poodle. So it takes a deeper generation than the F2 to start getting some consistency. Um, and to get consistency of wavy coats that are non-shedding, you have to breed two golden doodles together that both have two furnishing genes. And you would like both golden doodles to have zero curl genes or one golden doodle can have one curl gene and the other have zero curl genes. And that way you'll end up with an all wavy litter, all that carry two furnishing genes. And that's your first opportunity to produce a non-shedding wavy coated litter across the board. So it's a, definitely several generations to get there. Um, so then once you have these multigens, do you keep breeding multigens to multigens? Or do you cross gold, the purebred goldens and poodles back in or F1s back in at later points? Like how do how do people do it? Uh, well, it can be done anyway. And Ghana accepts registry or will register litters um, regardless of how a breeder chooses to get to that end point because um, each breeder has a different purpose for crossing two specific dogs. I have not used a poodle in my breeding program for many, many years now simply because I don't want to add in the two curl genes again. I could do that if I was using an F, I mean, a golden doodle, a multi-gen golden doodle that carried zero curl genes. Uh, if I bred it to a poodle, I'd end up with all the offspring having one curl gene and they'd all have wavy coats. Um, but now I'm adding in more poodle attributes again, um, typically a more narrow head, um, longer legs. And perhaps not that golden retriever, happy-go-lucky, I love everybody I meet, lousy watchdog personality, which is what the golden doodle is known for. Um, but there are breeders that would need to add the poodle in. Um, the poodle is also added in at that, that um, stage of development many times to add a different color. Because as we know, mm. retrievers' colors are very limited and poodles' colors are everywhere. So at that point, you may add a poodle, use a poodle to say a party colored poodle, because then every offspring in that litter is a party carrier. And then you can breed on from there to produce party colors or the same thing for um, brindles or, or merles or, um, yeah. you know, any color that you're trying to achieve out there. Chocolate. 
I mean, which in poodle yeah. are brown because you can't get a brown from a golden retriever gene. Right. So there is many ways to do it. Um, and, and Ghana knows that the breed is still in development. And we don't, we don't know that there is definitely a right or a wrong way to get to that end or that there's only one way to get to that end perfect golden doodle. So we allow breeders to, um, to experiment and um, yeah. find what's the best way to get to the end result. So long as they're health tested, which they are, that sounds great to me. So it's interesting to me that you use the word breed. And I noticed that the Ghana website also uses the word breed. And so I think a lot of people think of these dogs as crosses, but maybe you could talk a little bit about, I mean, I think a lot of what you've been saying demonstrates that you're moving towards it really being a breed, but maybe you could talk a little bit about what you mean by breed and what these end goals are for you guys. Well, a designer dog, in my mind, is where you're taking two different breeds and crossing them together for a specific purpose, and that would be your F1. And in my mind, the F1, um, in all essence, is a designer breed, just like a cockapoo or Yorkie Poo or Schnoodles or any of those other cute little names you come up with crossing crossing two purebreds. Um, but when you start um, breeding deeper generations and you're breeding um, Golden Doodle to Golden Doodle, now you're stamping in certain traits that you want and you are in essence developing a breed so even though there are a lot of people still breeding f1s and we commend them and want them to continue because we can continue bringing in new bloodlines as long as people are still doing f1s um, we now are calling a golden doodle a breed and not saying well f1s are designer dogs and f2bs are, are now a breed um, because that's all part of the development of the golden doodle breed. Cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's just, it's really interesting to see new breeds in development and particularly a breed like this, that really is designed for what we want today. Right? Like I think a lot of the breeds that are out there have their histories, their origins in what, what most pet owners aren't looking for today. Right. I mean, Labradors make fabulous pets, but their origins come from being a hunting dog and they are not, they were not originally created with the idea of being exactly what people today want as pets. And so I love the idea that you're thinking about, well, what do, what do people want? They want this pet personality, this friendly, terrible watchdog, right? We don't need watchdogs anymore. We have home security systems now. And then the other really major one, of course, is the low shedding. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit. I know that the very first doodle was bred um, for, a, I think, a guide dog group in Australia, right? Because they were trying to create a dog that was going to be a good, good candidate to become a service dog, but was uh, hypoallergenic because they had a particular person with allergies that they were breeding for. And so this foundation of doodle crosses... I think has come with this idea of, oh, it's if if Oodle is in the name, then no one is ever going to be allergic to it. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Certainly, certainly. Um, well, nobody, regardless of the breed, whether they're a shedding or a non-shedding dog, can say that that breed is always hypoallergenic because everybody has different levels of allergies. And there are people's and people in this world, unfortunately for them, that can't tolerate a dog of any breed. And therefore, no one can make that blanket statement. Um, the most important thing when trying to create the 
the most hypoallergenic dog is non-shedding because most people have an allergy to the dander and the dander is what the little piece of skin that's attached to the end of each hair that, that is shed um, off the body of a shedding dog. So the less dander, the less um, allergy producing, you know, issues. So we, we, Ghana requires or does not allow our breeders to state that their dogs are hypoallergenic. Um, you can say hypoallergenic for most people or for um, mild to moderate allergy sufferers, but there are always going to be people out there that can't tolerate a dog of any kind. And it's not a fault of the breed. It's, it's, they're just hypersensitive to, to dog dander or to saliva. Um, you know, they, they can have allergies to different parts of the dog. But our goal is to um, create non-shedding golden doodles to be compatible with those with mild to moderate dog allergies. Yeah, and I have to say I wouldn't mind having dogs who shedded le shed less because um, I certainly vacuum my house quite frequently. Um, the downside to that, though, I think, is that you, if the dog doesn't shed, then you have to take it to the groomer fairly frequently. Absolutely. Well, and I would like to say I have never once had a customer say, can you please give me a shedding dog? Um, yes. Whether they have allergies or not, um, people appreciate a non-shedding dog. And I will say after, you know, I'm not allergic to dogs, but I will never have a shedding dog again because I have the ability to have non-shedding dogs. Right. Um, just great for housekeeping, for clothes, the whole works. Um, and so I'm sorry, what was your original question? <laughs> What was my original question? Oh, the the uh, flip side of that is if the hair doesn't come off the body by being shed, then it has to come off the body by being uh, groomed. Yes. Um, and that is something that we do have to educate our customers. Uh, the, the general population looking for Golden Doodle loves that shaggy, unkept look. And mm -hmm. um, what they don't understand, unless you educate them as a breeder, um, that that means daily brushing. Um, if you have long hair as a human, you have to brush your hair every day. If you have a crew cut, you don't have, ever have to brush your hair. Um, but if you have long hair and you do nothing to maintain it, eventually you're going to have to shave your head bald. And same thing with dogs. And many times, you know, my customers will say, I love that long look. That's how I'm keeping my dog. And if they don't, um, that dog is matted. It goes, I, I used to, before I really spent time really educating my customers, I would get um, an email from them and a, and a picture of a bald dog after their dog's first grooming appointment. And they'd say, look what my groomer did. I'm never going back to this groomer. What a horrible job they did. And what I have to explain to them is the groomer had no option because when the dog is matted, it's painful to them to try to work a mat out and many times you can't and the best thing you can do is shave them bald start over and keep up with the brushing and I have to go as far as showing them um, the brushes that they need to use because the slicker brush is a great brush to use but it only does you know the outside half inch of the coat and if the coat's three inches long there can be mats entangled on, underneath that will grow into something that has you know a sore underneath of it and that has to be shed at or clipped out um so many times people let their puppy grow way long and realize after the first grooming job that they didn't do that dog any justice and then they keep much shorter hairdos and um, with um, short hairdos the grooming requirement is much less 
Yeah, for sure. The the grooming thing is important and it's, yeah, people don't realize it. Um, when I, I did a shelter medicine internship after vet school and there was, we would see, I mean, we would see typically uh, little white dogs. I don't know why it was always little white dogs coming in who had been neglected. And I had several times would see these mats that were actually down um, into the skin and into the, and one of them was as far down as the bone. Um, we didn't, yeah, like, so we shaved that dog down, but then there was a really deep wound that had to be dealt with. Um, so just a, a word to people who don't know that mats, that mats can be painful and, and pull on the skin and you sort of think, well, it's not that big a deal, but if left untreated for a long time, yes, it absolutely is uh, a really massive deal. And I think educating puppy buyers is, it's obviously really important and also really challenging. <laughs> just getting that information out to people about what they're going to need to do to manage their dog. So, and speaking about puppy buyers too. So if, if puppy buyers want to find a Ghana breeder, how would they go about doing that? And, and I was going to ask you, why is it important to go for a Ghana breeder rather than someone who isn't a Ghana breeder? I feel like maybe we've covered that enough. All the, all the things that Ghana breeders uh, do that others don't necessarily do. But I mean, if there's anything else you want to fill in there, that'd be great. But then how would a puppy buyer find one? Well, um, Ghana's website has a uh, menu tab that's called Find a Puppy. And when you open that up, there are two options. Uh, the first option takes you to a list of all of the Ghana breeders. They are in alphabetical order by state and they have clickable links to their websites and to their email. But what most of our, uh, what most of the consumers do is the second option on that page, which is an email function. And I have that set up so that when they fill out their request and hit submit, it goes out to all of the Ghana member breeders. Every single breeder gets that same request. And then the breeders that can accommodate the consumer will reach out to the consumer. And that makes it much easier than the consumer. You know, we have, I think, maybe 80 members right now, so they don't have to reach out to each member individually. Um, however, COVID has um, changed the uh, everything. <laughs> um, we actually have a dog shortage right now. And I, absolutely do. Yeah. I have people that will use that email function and send it out and will get no responses. And they'll, you know, write back to the board and say, you know, something happened. Nobody responded to my request. And it's because every reputable breeder is sold out for the foreseeable future. Um, and it's unfortunate that these people, um, you know, they want immediate they want a puppy now because they're home and they have now emptied out puppy mills. They are emptying out backyard breeders because they, you know, they're, they're, they'll take any puppy they can possibly find right now instead of waiting for a, a an appropriately bred, health tested, warranted, uh, genetically defect warranted puppy from, you know, a Ghana breeder. Um, and so, you know, this COVID thing has really uh, yeah, the shelters are the shelters are empty as well, and um, I I shudder to think what is happening with the truly not really responsible breeders who are, honestly are just in it for the money, and whether they are ramping up production. I expect they are, and I it upsets me. Well, another thing that I would like to warn uh, consumers about because we get complaints um, often that. There are hackers out there that they, they take 
pictures off of breeders' websites of cute little puppies, and they're collecting deposits on these puppies, and they typically don't even reside in the United States. There is no puppy for sale, and they've got your money, and you're just out of luck. Um, so what I try to explain to people is if you buy from a Ghana breeder, Ghana's done your homework. Every breeder listed there we know is not a puppy mill. We know that they do appropriate health testing. We know that they have proven that their dog is, that they are producing golden doodles. Not, no other breeds are mixed in there um, because to register a breeding dog with Ghana, you have to either trace that golden doodle, however many generations back, to AKC registered dogs, or you have to have a DNA um, breed profile that shows that the dog is, that, that that golden doodle is comprised only of golden retriever and poodle genes. And that's for every single breeding dog, for every single Ghana breeder. And therefore, if you're going to buy from a non-Ghana member breeder, first you need to ask, why aren't they a Ghana breeder? Do they not qualify? Do they, do they not like to conform? Um, many times a breeder is is good about health testing, but then they end up with a dog that didn't pass something and they don't want to remove that dog from their breeding program. Well, for Ghana, that would be found out because they can't register the litter without submitting the, the, the health testing. And so another breeder who's not a Ghana breeder just says, oh, I didn't, I didn't test their elbows. Instead of I tested them and they have, you know, there's this plastic, um, I didn't test. Or they just don't mention it and the general consumer doesn't know enough to ask to see the health testing. So when somebody says, well, you know, why should I buy from a Ghana breeder? Well, you don't have to. But if you don't buy from a Ghana breeder, you need to do your own homework. You need to find out, is that truly a golden doodle? Does it have other breeds mixed in? Has it been fully health tested? Did it pass all of the health testing? Um, is it a puppy mill? Are those puppies raised in cages? Um you know, are they devoid of, of human interaction until you pick up your puppy at eight weeks? Um, Ghana knows all of these things about their breeders. And so you don't have to do that homework. If you buy from a Ghana breeder, you know that all of that information has been taken care of. We also require that every puppy um, is sold um, with uh, being examined by a vet before it's released and given a clean bill of health or any issues are exposed or, you know, the consumer knows. And also that they come with a minimum of a two-year genetic defect warranty. And we have rules about that. They cannot require that the puppy be returned to exercise the warranty. Because what good is a two-year genetic defect warranty if my puppy has a problem, but I got to give it back to you. Nobody wants to give back their 18-month-old dog that they love that has a health issue. And so that's how breeders get, you know, it's a loophole that breeders then don't honor the warranties. Um, our breeders cannot require that a dog is given a certain supplement or fed a certain brand of food to maintain the warranty. Um, the breeder can't require that the owners touch base or give reports every so often um, because that doesn't affect the genetic health of the dog. Um, so our warranties are, each breeder has to submit their warranty, it has to meet Ghana's criteria, and then that warranty has to be posted on their website for the general consumer to see at all times. And um, so Ghana's done the homework, and therefore when somebody says, can you recommend a specific Ghana breeder, my recommendation is, you know, they all meet these standards.
So reach out to them and find which one has, has the right puppy for you. Yeah, that's fabulous. I love all the transparency and the way you you build the incentives in to make sure that this stuff is actually going to gonna happen and the way you lay down the law sometimes <laughs> when it's necessary. Um, yeah, so the reason I wanted to do what I'm intending to turn into a, a short series of talking to different parts of the doodle world is um, that I... I just, I hear from a lot of purebred breeders that doodles get a bad rap, right? And so some of the things that you hear are, you know, doodle owners never know what they're doing. Doodle breeders are all irresponsible or that the dogs, you know, I've met so many doodles with bad temperaments. Um, And I just, I wanted to sort of expose the side of that there are some very responsible, competent doodle breeders out there. And I was hoping you would have some words to say to, to talk about this issue. Well, what you described can happen in any breed, not just doodles. You can have bad golden retriever breeders, bad poodle breeders. Um, there are people that have never even heard of health testing, and they're, they're breeding dogs together. Um, there are people that have no um, knowledge of appropriate structure, and therefore they're breeding dogs that have structural issues that are going to cause health issues. Um, and so I think probably the difference is that doodles are bringing higher prices than your purebred dogs. So probably more unscrupulous people, more uneducated people are becoming doodle breeders. And that does hurt the reputation of the breed. Um, The bottom line is there are good and bad breeders everywhere. And you need to, uh, and uh, the consumer needs to become educated. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had somebody say, Oh, well, I always bought AKC because that means it's healthy. No, the AKC is a registry. They don't require any health testing. They don't require that. I mean, they're they're okay with a mother and a son crossing to produce a litter or a father and a daughter. And that's many times when you have issues because family members carry the same recessive genes and therefore, you know, they might be healthy individually, but together they're going to create um, puppies that are affected. And so being AKC registered gives you no guarantee other than it's the breed they say it is. And that's why I wanted Ghana to represent something different than that. Not only is it the breed that we say it is, but it comes from fully health tested lines. Now, the only thing that Ghana can't, um, can't police is temperament. But the bottom line is, that catches up with the reputation. If you continually breed um, dogs that have crazy temperaments and are, um, you know, very hyper um, or aggressive, you're not going to be a breeder very long. And that's what that yeah. is, I think. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. So, if um, if people want to learn more about Ghana, where would they go on the internet? What is the website? goldendoodleassociation.com and um, they will find a wealth of information on the website. Um, we have, um, our, 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 other than paying our registrar, we have one paid um, employee and that is the person that processes all the registration forms and doc- she manages the database. She collects the health testing and logs it all in. Um, other than that expense, Ghana spends its money only for educational purposes. So um, we, we had a, a, an on-site 
um, conference in Myrtle Beach in March, probably the very last few days we would have been able to ever pull it off due to COVID. Um, if we had planned the conference a week later, we would not have been able to have it. And several of our speakers pulled out because they were afraid to travel and they joined our conference and gave their lecture via Zoom. Um, but we have um, been doing pretty much weekly Zoom educational webinars for our members. And we don't charge our members for this. This is something that Ghana pays for. And we have hired um, speakers from all walks of life, um, Dr. Carmen Battaglia, Marty Greer, Dr. Hutchinson, um, different uh, well-known speakers who will then address our membership um, and allow our membership to answer, ask questions and so forth and, and give them an education. Um, and that, I think, is our new method of educating our, our breeders instead of requiring them all to fly to a certain location and visually, um, you know, listen and, and see these speakers. We do, um, we, we created a breed standard. Uh, we finished that up, I guess, maybe a year ago. And we've been doing um, structural um, educational videos and we are in the process now of having the breed standard illustrated we have an artist that's going to work with us to illustrate the breed standard so that people they don't just read what the the ear length should be or you know so forth they can actually visualize it with it with a diagram um, and that is more helpful when, when people are learning about structure so the bottom line is our goal at this point is education 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 and we pretty we have a um, a Facebook well we have two Facebook groups for Ghana um, and they're private um, for members only. The one is where our breeders discuss things and ask questions, and it's where we put out information that we want to, to be able to have a vote upon. But we also have a Ghana Educational Library where there is no discussion. It's where we store all of these webinars and um, all of the information that we share with our breeders. You know, every now and then we have such a fabulous webinar that we, as a gesture of goodwill, share it on um, several um, breeder forums that, you know, for all breeds or for breeders that aren't Ghana breeders, um, because we feel the information is just too important not to share. Um, and that's what Ghana is about, is educating. So we give them a little taste of what Ghana offers. And then if you want more of the education, join Ghana. It's a whole hundred dollars a year. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, I didn't even think to ask you about education because um, I was I didn't know what you would say and I didn't want to ask you if you were going to say something like, oh, we don't educate anybody, but that's fantastic. I think that's what a breed club should do. So on the website, there is a lot of educational information um, about grooming and different things, you know, helping a new breeder know what whelping supplies to have. Um, if you go on the website, you'll find um, every educational segment that we do, we list it on there. It's not necessarily available to the general public. You have to be a member, but we want people, readers that are thinking about joining Ghana to be able to access this list and see, wow, you know, all of that is there for a mere hundred dollars a year. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Well, I, I really appreciate your taking the time to come talk to me about this, talk with me about this stuff and help spread information about what resources are available out there for folks who want to breed golden doodles super responsibly. Well, we are happy to have you on our side as doodle breeders. So thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. 
The Functional Breeding Podcast is a product of the Functional Dog Collaborative and was produced by Sarah Espinoza Socal. Come join us at the Functional Breeding Facebook group to talk about this episode or about responsible breeding practices in general. To learn more about the Functional Dog Collaborative, check out functionalbreeding.org. Enjoy your dogs. Enjoy your dogs.